The cellar dwellers may contain inappropriate content. Alright, who are we kidding? You and I both know these movies are pretty messed up. But isn't that what you're here for anyway, you filthy animals? Join us in the cellar, and enjoy the show. They come from the unknown, and they're here now, hiding, waiting to strike. You can feel their presence all around you. Never before have you come this close to the edge of terror. Never before have you faced anything so strange and sinister, so bizarre and unnerving. Never until now. David Cronenberg's The Brood. those kids father as well uh <laughs> well i mean yeah sure yeah I, uh, yes those are all my hard kids yes. hard yes he, all my children that's the that's the soap opera and that, oh yeah that is that's what opera. this that's mm-hmm. this is based on so this is a this is part of the universe of a couple other properties then so this yeah, is all my children and kyle xy <laughs> yeah it's really broad yeah <laughs> and what a way to kick off the cronenberg series then with a multiverse uh, spanning film. Uh, hello, y'all. We're at the Cellar Dwellers. Hello, and welcome to Cronenberg. Cronenberg. This is... Uh, the town of Cronenberg. The town of Cronenberg. This is episode one of the town of Cronenberg. And uh, we start I like with... That. I like that name for it's our good. series. Yeah. The town of Cronenberg. We'll keep it that way. Yeah. Uh, so welcome to the town of Cronenberg. We are kicking it off with 1979's The Brood. God, I'm excited. Yeah, it's cool. This, uh, Cronenberg is somebody who kind of inspired this podcast in a way. In a big way. In many ways. Yeah. And we have avoided watching any of his movies this whole time. We always wanted to uh, shine a particular spotlight on him. Yes. And just, we, we knew we wanted to do something. So we decided, as we discussed, to uh, pick a film from each decade starting in the 70s, going up to the 2010s, which is his uh, currently most recent film. And uh, from there, um, we just picked one because he does have multiple yes. per decade. Yes. Because he's pretty prolific. He's, he's made stopped. many movies. He stopped at a certain year, I think 2014-ish, maybe a little earlier. But he stopped at a certain year and hasn't made anything in a long time. But he mm-hmm. does have, he's got something in the works. Yeah, we're, we're excited for that. Very excited for that. Um, but today we're discussing 1979's The Brood. Um, I'm excited because I I didn't know much about The Brood going into this. And I'm, I'm a fan of Cronenberg. I'd say I've probably seen at least half of his films. Okay. Um, obviously the big ones, The Fly, all that stuff. Yep. But, uh, but yeah, I hadn't seen much of his early, early stuff. And uh, I watched the trailer for this. And I gotta say, it's a really good trailer. Like I yeah, it I still got need to check it out. Very, very excited by this. It's also incredibly, incredibly vague. 
Um, oh, like a good 70s yeah, trailer was. Like it was it, yeah. That's why I was curious to watch the trailer. Because normally with these movies, I like going in blind. Yep. But since we're doing this, the series, it felt good to like experience it from that side totally. of it as well. And it, actually in our research, we, we saw that Joe Dante himself cut the, the trailer for it. Joe Dante of Gremlins fame, as well as The Howling and uh, Small Soldiers. He did Small Soldiers? Yes, he did. What a man yes, of many did. talents. I know, right? Our friend Joe Dante. Um, friend, but, of the, friend of the show. For, yeah, he's a listener for sure. We'll yep. get him on eventually. For sure. 100%. He's just a little busy right now. Is he still alive? 100%. Okay, good. Yeah. That's cool. We'll get him and Mick Garris on. Yeah, they'll be here. Yep. Yeah, we're, they're buddies. Um, sure. But the, the trailer itself, I thought, was really, really cool. And before we get into the actual film, I th- I feel like talking about the trailer feels, feels yeah, right a little sure. bit. Because it, it starts off with essentially a, a crawl of words across the screen, very Star Wars-esque. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to read it out because it's completely silent mm. as well. And it's very, very interesting. Now comes a major motion event that will take you f- far beyond anything ever filmed before. You are about to journey beyond fear, beyond terror, beyond the boundaries of your mind in a film so terrifying, it will devastate you totally. Damn. <laughs> That's it. And then it goes, David Cronenberg's? The Brood, and now the trailer begins. That wow. is like the prologue for the trailer. God, the seventies were either uh, just it's just such a different time. This this wouldn't scare anyone ever in any day right now. No, no, and and we'll we'll get into. Not the, to, I'm not saying that it's a bad movie. I'm just saying tastes change, and this is not scary. Yes. And compared, at all. especially compared to many of his other films, yeah, one hundred. This is. We mentioned this uh, right after we finished, but we were like, "Yeah, this is." We both agreed that this is uh, an early film oh, in a yeah. very prolific director's career. Yes, um, I had wondered because I didn't really quite know his his stuff around this era, mm-hmm. um, and I had wondered why we didn't start with like his first movie, maybe yep. his second movie. Um, you want to explain why we chose not to? I wanted to pick one that is a little bit more realized, closer in. Uh, execution to his more well-known output because Shivers and Rabid, uh, to my knowledge, are mostly starring adult film stars. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but they're just a little sleazier, a little a little rougher around the edges, and I wanted something uh, a little bit cleaner, honestly, to uh, be able to kick this off with because we're going to be doing a heavy hitter for Cronenberg uh, down the line mm-hmm. after our next one. Uh, so for number three, it's going to be, I believe, his only NC-17 film. Which number three will be, uh, again, in the 90s. So yeah, if you want to try to figure out, film. guess which one, yeah. um, definitely let us know. Yeah. Um, so wanted to kick it off with kind of what I feel would arguably be considered the movie that was like, oh, Cronenberg's name is out there now yeah. because of The Brood. Um, it's it essentially I mean, scanners is really the one that did that, but that's his eighties right. output. So. And, and yeah, this definitely feels like a movie that was like, Oh, this guy, this is a horror guy. Like yeah. this, this guy has something to it, you know? And, and while I haven't seen his previous two, you're right. They do feel a little bit more. I've seen rabbit locky variety. I've seen rabid and it's good. Um, again, it just feels, um, it's grindhousey. It's, it's sure. more exploitation. It's, it's, it's just dirtier. Um, the Soska sisters? Oh, yeah. Did the remake. Of The Brood? Of Rabid. Oh, there, I didn't know there was a remake. From 2019. The Soska sisters, a.k.a. the hosts of uh, <laughs> Elevator. Yeah, hell yeah. And, I used to love that And show. the directors of American Mary. But mostly. But mostly Elevator. Elevator fame. 
Um, yeah. So if you're familiar just with like 70s shock cinema, 70s exploitation, uh, this is kind of along those lines. But I mean, it's still helmed by Cronenberg, so it does look and feel a little bit different than those movies because it's helmed by a genuine artist. Uh, yeah, totally. And I will say <clears throat> this. I, I expected The Brood to be more exploitative more yeah, mean which because is, that was kind of what you prepared me for yeah, which is also kind of why i picked it yeah uh because it came after two movies that were much more in that vein and right. this one uh i honestly feel is meaner tonally uh it's more biting tonally than the first two even though visually it's much less graphic this one's also got something behind it like this yeah. one has meaning to it if you if you google this movie you are going to hear everyone and their fucking mother talk about how did you know that david cronenberg was going through a difficult divorce when he made this movie it's yeah it's not it's very subtle you might not pick that up if you watch the movie <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> you might not get that there's uh there's a man who's very upset at a woman uh yeah it's to get it out of the way like there's not accusations, but there's genuine arguments for a misogynistic read of this story. And I, I'm going to guess this might not be the first time we talk about this with David Cronenberg. No, or series. with a lot of uh, male auteurs. True, um, yes. A spe uh, specifically of the more extreme variety. I mean, Lars von Trier is exhibit a when it comes to that shit when we inevitably talk about antichrist yep. like there's a hard argument that that movie is incredibly misogynistic he's got an argument against that though so there that's worth exploring sure i so. mean yeah that's just something that i think we have to kind of accept is is a part of these kinds of films and i think we're starting to see changes but oh for, for sure for like these, these days and i'm also super curious to see uh, those directors age yes. like seeing Von Trier like House That Jack Built compared to his earlier like meaner work like House That Jack Built is more playful and it's not at, I mean it's still fucking brutal but it's it's not it's a more fun watch it is a more fun it watch is. and I'm go, ba go back and listen to our second ever episode House yeah. That Jack Built House That Jack Built uh, Von Trier hasn't made a made a comeback since then I don't has he? think so wow. Interesting. He's due for one. Yeah. Um, we got stuff planned, though, so he'll have to take a backseat buster. For sure. Uh, I'm curious to see how, and revisiting Cronenberg's work, Cronenberg's work to see how it evolves over time, but to see with his new one how he comes out the gate. Because I recall um, feeling like a big shift when I first saw History of Violence. Yes. And just being like, oh, he's doing something else now. This like, is different. This is very different. Yeah. He's he's not just doing Cronenberg-y shit. Like, this Prime is, Vigo. Yeah. Like, uh, we'll obviously end up talking about all of his films yep. that we've seen or have some stuff to say about a little bit. But yeah, uh, my real introdu introduction to Cronenberg... Uh, was the fly yeah. like that was the first thing that i saw that's the first thing i heard about like with his name being attached to it um and then very quickly after i heard about videodrome and I was just like you got to see that you got to see that but that one i didn't see for years that was just always on the periphery and i got into uh eastern promises and history of violence mm -hmm. and like that is a weird it's uh, a one, one two punch it's a weird uh scale to to level out of 
kind of really knowing the fly and then like two violent dramas. Yeah. And it's just like, huh, like what is this guy? So like going back through his filmography, cause I've gone through a lot. I haven't seen everything. Uh, M butterfly. I, it has been hard for me to find. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Um, which is another, I guess one of his dramas of that play or musical or Broadway something. Mm-hmm. Um, or novel. I don't remember. Something. It's an adaptation of something. Yeah, who cares? It's not our problem. Uh, going back through, it's it. I remember the first time I did this in college, being pretty like fascinated with his movies, going through them and just being like, "Wow, he's so good!" Like from the get, even when he's doing these schlocky, nasty little horror movies, and then when you get to The Fly, it's okay. You've honed your chops with like the drama and you sprinkled in like throughout the drama, like uh, you had two schlocky movies and the brood, that's your drama, but you still threw in the schlock just to kind of test it. Mm-hmm. Then you get to scanners next. And then, like, that's even more drama, but with like even a bigger set piece, <laughs> literally, uh, literally. And then getting to the fly, it's like the perfect amalgamation, amalgamation of uh, uh, the schlock and the drama. Yeah. And like seeing the brood, you can just tell like, he's testing the lines of getting like way more personal with things. He's testing the lines of, uh, it, well, his own scripts. Cause eventually he stops writing his scripts. Well, yeah. When did he stop writing those? Scripts? I think it's like really with like history of violence. It may have been like spider or something sure. like right before. Um, but he really stopped writing. I don't think he wrote anything for like the last, 15 years interesting yeah because yeah, that's not something you see a lot as, as an auteur like this beginning as a writer yeah. director and then kind of stopping writing their own stuff it's that not, is a little bit unusual yeah, it's it's not common um yeah Cronenberg I don't think has done that or if he's like written stuff it's uh uh he's credited for it but it's it's probably tv or like ghostwriting or something but yeah as a writer specifically he came out the gate with those four, uh, four meaning uh, scanners, yeah, Videodrome, The Fly, Dead Ringers, and then Naked Lunch. Yep, it was up till Spider. Yeah. And then I guess he got a co-writing for Cosmopolis. Sure. Uh, but, which is an adaptation. Which is an adaptation. So, But I don't, I, I think Don DeLillo actually worked with him on the script. That's I'm pretty not, cool. If I'm not um, mistaken. Um, but The Brood, as we initially discussed is his divorce film it is uh his most personal at the time um arguably maybe his most personal in his entire at least his most bluntly personal yeah as far as we like like i said earlier like the least subtle version yeah like yeah. this is it, it's clear what it's about that doesn't necessarily take away the enjoyment of no. watching it no um but i'll read the just the quick sentence of of just what it's about uh, a man tries to uncover an unconventional psychologist's therapy techniques on his institu- institutionalized wife amidst a series of brutal murders that doesn't really give anything away. Uh, which At all. Neither did the trailer. Yeah. And honestly, it's best to go... If you happen to know nothing about The Brood, if yeah. you happen to... There's a pretty like iconic scene um, if you're like into horror. It's a scene toward the end where the arms are like coming through the door. Mm. Um I had seen that a bunch before seeing the movie, but never knew what it was from. It's very like Shining. Yeah, exactly. 100%. Uh, but it came out the year before The Shining. Interesting. Um, 
Uh, this also came out the same year as Kramer versus Kramer. As we which found Cronenberg out. claims this is his Kramer versus Cronenberg Kramer versus Cronenberg. Only more. Oh yeah, only more realistic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> to go through the plot as we do to give you guys a basic setup to give you an overview of the Brood. Um, it is uh, as Colby very briefly said and didn't give anything away in the plot synopsis. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is a couple. Uh, the mother is institutionalized currently, and uh, we don't fully know why. This institution uh, is a cult. Yeah, basically yeah. just a cult. Yeah, it's it's like a self help guru type situation, uh, played by Oliver Reed, um, the famous British actor Oliver Reed. Uh, Essentially, the cult figurehead. The cult figurehead. <laughs> Who's not really like sinister at all. Uh, he's definitely um, uh, a bit skeezy seeming, but Oliver Reed feels like he's in a different movie. Oliver, oh, yeah, I think he than yeah. everybody else. I would just assume actors of that age are just like shit house, like for the just paycheck, drunk so often. Because like he got arrested while filming this movie, true. apparently. Yeah, <laughs> for for getting naked uh, and walking a strip of bars on a dare. Yeah, because he was dared to. And he's like a grown, he's a grown man. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> old British actors. Yeah, crazy, right? Like, it's, it, yeah, he doesn't really make sense in this movie, but he is very entertaining. Yeah, but he no, for sure. He, but like, like you said, he's, he's not menacing. He doesn't really do much. No. Like, he doesn't have any real... Him... <laughs> Daddy, him. Uh, that's like a throwback to Hills of Ice. Daddy. That's funny that you start with the daddy because the movie starts with daddy. It does start with daddy. It starts with him and another patient, Michael. Michael. Uh, doing so. Uh, this therapy, you essentially like just live in your trauma. You live out your trauma. You act it out. It's like incredibly immersive, quote unquote, therapy. But it just seems really manipulative. And then he bangs the patient. Kind of like blackout experiments. Yeah, and Michael's very into it. Just like, Michael is so into just it. Just like the blackout experience, freaking. I would say within the first five minutes, uh, Daddy is said at least thirty times. Daddy is said probably, which at I'm least sure made you so times. happy because you love just saying Daddy in movies. And when we're recording, when I'm wearing headphones and I can hear it right in my ear, it's so fun. Daddy. Yeah, thank you. There's a lot, and a lot of people say "daddy" in this movie, like in different, different characters. ways. Yeah. Oh, it's beautiful. It's <laughs> your, great. Your dream movie. I get why you like this so much. It, I mean, that alone, like watching it this time with the context of him going through a divorce and like a difficult custody battle is like, oh wow, he re- uh, <laughs> he's having a hard time. Yeah, he's, he was going through <laughs> it when he was writing this. Like, holy shit! Like everything was just about daddy. What was daddy? Yeah. Like, holy shit, dude. There's a lot of it. I mean, I'm I'm not trying to discredit the man. I'm sure he it was very difficult but holy shit yeah we were wondering how old he was when he was making this because in my mind 36. it was like you know it's his third movie we were yeah i was like is he in his 20s yeah 36 yeah, 36 he He's was dealt he was older than dealt I was with some stuff at this point in his life yeah. and i mean the kid I, I would assume one of the children if not the child in question for this custody battle is uh brendan cronenberg who Brandon has Cronenberg. directed a few different movies. He's a, yeah. a pretty talented filmmaker. Who may or may not end up on the podcast. Not him personally, but I mean, maybe. 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 Never say never, right? Yeah, we can't say he's not. Brandon Cronenberg, we'll see you soon. We'll talk to you soon, buddy. But yes, we might also, you might also hear an episode about a certain Possessor movie at some point. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. So, uh, 
once we're established that this is where the wife is, we then see that the husband has dropped the daughter off with her mother. The, the There is a young blonde daughter yes. who looks essentially like the character, like the little girl from Poltergeist. Identical to Carol Ann, right? I think, is her name? Yeah. yeah. Carol Ann! Could, uh, could not tell the difference if you put me, if you put them side by side. No, me. they, it's creepy. Um, she gets dropped off with her grandmother. This is her mother's uh, mother. Yeah, we yeah. Let's let's get like the kind of family tree out of the way because that's what this movie is about. Is about different levels of. Family. We got Candace is the daughter, the blonde haired yes. poltergeist little girl. Candy, Candy or Candace, mm-hmm. and then we got Nola, which is her mother who is institutionalized, and then we have the Frank, the main protagonist that's guy, Daddy. Yes, one of the daddies. I mean, he's the daddy he of the movie. He's Candy's father. He's Candy's daddy. The main character, yeah. Yeah, he's Candy Daddy. And then we get the two grandparents. Yeah, who their names are whatever. Irrelevant. But it is it is significant for the story because, again, yes. this is about couples and yeah. grief and all that stuff. So All that stuff. <laughs> immediately when uh, Candy is dropped off with her grandmother, we see that um, the grandmother's drinking. Like, just has a glass of whiskey or brown liquor of some sort. None of the relationships in this movie are healthy. No. Uh, also, like, the dad doesn't really say anything, doesn't really uh, seem phased by this. The, the, I, I think the acting, for the most part, of this movie is pretty okay. Yeah. Frank, the main character who we see the most, is the worst. He's not great. Like he, For sure. Played by uh, Art Hindle, who I don't know, haven't seen him in much. But, yeah, just not interesting like there's no charisma no yeah and, he's and the blind. script is pretty good I yeah think the script bad. is solid for for what david cronenberg this, was going for this movie gets a lot of love and with cronenberg we definitely wanted to kind of talk more thoughtfully about the movies than usual to give the dude his due with this one specifically uh reading into it as i said like kind of everything about this movie that's out there is about this dude's divorce and, like, I get it. That's cool. So I kind of want to take it from just, like, all right, let's look at it now that that's been talked to death. Yes. Look at it from the merits of the time period and his own work before and right after type of thing. So, like. And also as a horror movie. Exactly. Exactly. So, like, looking at that time, like we had uh, mentioned, like, just after this movie comes out, comes uh, fucking The Shining. Yeah, that's and that's, that's really impressive. If you if you look uh, if you look at them comparatively, it's they're both very much uh, familial anxiety dramas of familial abuse, mm-hmm. of alcoholism, of of families falling apart. It, it seems honestly a little reminiscent. Uh, to the time period of horror movies that we've got now um, of this just kind of consistent dread and anxiety is yeah, really the horror of it all. stress and anxiety. Yeah, and everything is a grotesque metaphor for something rather than the 80s when it was just slashers. Yeah. Um, and in Cronenberg, as we'll get into, uh, his 80s work is incredibly different than what was like huge in uh, the 80s and even from the brood to the He's plot. pretty much always been counterculture, yeah. no matter what. And I looked up, just out of curiosity, uh, what other horror films, like or uh, films really, kind of like hit in 1979, mm-hmm. uh, along with this. And there was uh, the 
uh, Salem's Lot miniseries. There was the Amityville Horror, which was big. There was uh, Werner Herzog's Nosferatu remake. Oh, interesting. Which is interesting. Yeah. Uh, Phantasm. Uh, Alien. All in 79. Yeah, Alien. Jeez. As well as there was another one that really caught my eye. Um, oh, yeah, Driller Killer. Yeah. Also came out Go listen to our Driller Killer Go episode. listen to our Driller Killer. And uh, I think it is interesting to note also that Apocalypse Now came out in Jeez. 1979. 79, what a year. Yeah, crazy stuff. So, like, this movie, like, tonally definitely fits. It's interesting that the, the first one you said was Salem's Lot, because mm-hmm. there is a lot of parallels with this, and just Stephen King stories of yeah, this time as well. I would love, and interesting, because we won't, uh, spoiler, Cronenberg, as we said, has a lot of fucking movies, so spoiler, we are not going to be covering The Dead Zone, but I fucking love The Dead Zone. Yeah, Dead so Zone's you, great. So you saying that there's good parallels from The Brood to King is awesome, because just 10 years later, he ends up doing a King adaptation. But uh, go into what you mean by that. Yeah, no, I think not only at this time, King, uh, 70s King was was a really, obviously, prolific time when he was kind of on his rise. Uh, Carrie was his first book. Salem's Lot was was really early. Um, The Shining was this next year, essentially. But what he was so good at back in the day was not only writing, you know, some pretty scary scenes with monsters, all that stuff, but, like, really using his own uh, family relationships demons, and dynamic yeah. and definite demons, whether it was cocaine, alcohol, a uh, little bit of everything probably at the time. And he definitely always infused that in his story. I mean, The Shining is, that's what it's about, yeah. is, is you know, being a parent and alcoholism and all that stuff. And um, so seeing the, the parallels with that kind of thing, that kind of storytelling and the brood, which is really cool because mm-hmm. they're they're essentially contemporary horror storytellers yeah. just in different mediums. Oh, and, for sure. And very cool that 10 years later they were working together. Yeah. Um, just a cool comparison. And obviously I'm a very big Stephen King fan. I mentioned that I'm currently reading The Stand. It's awesome. Hell yeah. Yeah, it's uh, especially like with the brood, it's a very specific style of horror that is, I mean, it's the king style yeah. of horror of that very much grounded in reality, but also grounded in the family unit type thing. And King's got some good body horror to him as well. Yeah, and the the uh, the horror often really taking the backseat to the drama and like the message of what's going on. Um, I know King can be accused of being heavy handed in that, but uh, that, that is accurate. He, he's be. earnest if not anything. Sure. So I, I will say though, I one of maybe a, an I'll say a criticism of this movie. It took a while for anything to get weird. True. 100%. Um, I was curious about that. This, uh, with with the Cronenberg series, it doesn't matter, in my opinion, as much like the ratings as much as just the conversation. Mm-hmm. But... Um, yeah, let's, let's do the ratings. Let's yeah, get them out of the way. I had... Uh, when it ended, I said, I think I'm going to give it a three or three and a half, but I think I already rated it on Letterboxd from years ago. And I had, and I had a, th- a three and a half. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with it. I think it's pretty solid. I wanted to go into this movie, obviously being a fan of Cronenberg, uh, to to expect you know a, an early film in his work, but something that I was going to still really enjoy. Um, I got to say, the first two thirds are like pretty boring. Not a lot. And happens. you know, there's a couple twists, a couple good uh, good spooks, but like it wasn't until the final third that really it kind of redeemed itself. Um, and I would have said it does get weird. It gets very weird. Yeah. Action happens very quickly. 
uh, and we'll get into that stuff for sure. But um, I, 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 I would have said a two and a half. That's where I but thought. But I'll go up to a three. Uh, the the final third uh, did redeem it. Uh, a decent amount, for sure. Yeah. But and definitely not my favorite. That's a two and a half that I completely understand. Uh, because I explained my rating to you before we started recording of being like, I just love being in the hands of Cronenberg. Like, I just like watching his movies. I like how they flow. You like holding hands with David Cronenberg. I like holding hands with David Cronenberg. They just flow super well. They're kind of, they just feel familiar since I've seen a good amount of his stuff and I really enjoy... Uh, his vibe honestly i mean he's yeah i i do agree with you there like if if this was a different filmmaker probably would have been, been a dud probably yeah. would have been a two this sure. also um uh to go to another comparison uh since you brought up king uh feels very much in vein of like a giallo type film mm-hmm. uh the italian giallo films um if i mean just just fuck up the dubbing in this and it's a fucking giallo movie really I mean, and I got to say, the the early dubbing in this movie, like in the first couple scenes, not great. Not great. So I was, that, it definitely uh, kind of screams that yeah. at you. Yeah. Uh, that this is comparative to a Giallo movie. You're right. Totally. I was, I was feeling, feeling the same vibes. And honestly, he would mostly be uh, a, contem- a contemporary of those Giallo guys, yeah. more so than, I'm sure he was influenced in, in a certain degree of, because who wasn't back yeah. then that was into horror, but... Uh, he for sure was a contemporary in some respects because I think like Shivers came out in 76 probably and like I don't know Suspiria came out around then yeah, as that well. Yeah, that was the heyday yeah. of those movies. That's when all that shit was really popping off for all those guys um, and emphasis on the guys because yeah, <laughs> they're not, all men. Not a lot of women uh, really at all in this yep. genre or really in filmmaking at this point. That it's is, just a, It's not a great time that's a good for s- diversity. That's a good segue into uh, the broods, like, kind of quote-unquote accusations of misogyny and uh, whatnot of... uh, It's not lost on me, and I don't think it should be lost in the conversation that this, yes, this is a divorce movie. Yes, Cronenberg has claimed it was a painful, troublesome custody battle, uh, but... It is still a straight white dude telling a story, and it's only his side of the story, and he absolutely paints his ex-wife, who he says is the mother in this movie, uh, as a crazy psychopath. And, you know, there's something to be said for that. Yeah, the the obviously it's not... It can't be said that he is, like, directly comparing, like, the gross body horror stuff that we get. No, not that, but the but, mental stuff. But, yeah. Yeah. The but he also kind of can, <laughs> like you can. Oh, one hundred percent. He like the way that he is treating the the drama mixed in with the horror uh, that is directly based on what is going on in his life. Yeah, uh, is definitely like a little bit shady. Like it's, I get yeah. what he's doing because it's, you can he's tell he's pissed. Life. Yes, he's fucking bitter, yeah. and he made this movie to spite his ex wife and to process his emotions. Yeah, and he also and just it, happened to make it a little bit, you know. Kind of gross. Kind of gross. <laughs> and kind of cool, gross looking. Even from 1979, that effect still looks pretty gross. Yes. It's it's kind of cool. Uh, we're being vague about that, but I don't know how... Uh, if you... I don't know. Should we spoil that? Yes. This movie is... Because that's like it. Old. Yeah, I mean, 79. This yeah. is an old movie. Obviously, the way that we're talking about it, like, we recommend... We've been it. actually pretty vague. 
I'm actually proud of us. We yeah. usually go way harder into detail at this point. True. We normally yeah. we start off with a very Straight specific up. complaint yeah. about something probably gross. There were no dicks in this movie True. at all. <laughs> at all. <laughs> we want to make that clear. At all. <laughs> no dicks. So That's not with a complaint. that out of the way. That's not a complaint. No, it's just a fact. <laughs> I'm not aggressive. I'm not being aggressive. <laughs> You're aggressive. No dicks at all. And we did discuss this. David Cronenberg does show dicks later in, on in his in movies. In other films, thank God. So thank God, maybe, thank, God. thank Christ. Thank Christ. <laughs> thank the passion of the Christ. Check out that up. Man, we're really marketing all the ups today. <laughs> we are, man. We got Honestly, a great pa- back catalog. We're going to get close to 50. If we're not at we're, 50 already, we're, we're I think we're like there. two away after the one we're doing right now. Yeah, this is, we're getting close. We're doing it. We got to get back. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. You get it, though. You get it. I do. So take it with a grain of salt while watching this and kind of reading into stuff. Uh, I tried the Criterion essay that I read for this. We did watch this on, on the Criterion we channel. We watched this on the Criterion channel. It's streaming there. It's streaming on HBO something. It's streaming on Shutter. It's available. And I know who you're like, oh, my gosh, who among the two of you has the Criterion channel? I know. It's such a mystery, right? Here's the reveal. It's Christian. Whoa. <laughs> Yeah, whoa, what a twist, right? Crazy. Didn't see that one coming, that Christian has the Criterion, the Criterion channel. channel. Uh, I'm surprised you didn't already own this on Criterion. I do. Oh. <laughs> I didn't want to get my disc out. <laughs> <laughs> so I looked to see if it was streaming, and it and it was. There we so. go, in character. Yes. Uh, yeah, that was... That was mm-hmm. um, uh, I don't pay for the Criterion channel, though. A friend of mine does, and he lets me have the login because I let him have my HBO login. It's a fair so, trade. Yeah, we trade. But you do. But you did pay to own this movie. Uh, yes, I did. I did buy the Blu-ray of this. Yeah. Uh, before I'd ever seen it, it was one of the blind buys that I did. Uh, and I was cool with it. Um, uh, again, three and a half. Uh, it's yeah. honestly a three, but because it's Cronenberg, it's a half higher. But for me, just like Colby, you're like, yeah, I gotta, I'll give it. It's better than it, it could have been. <laughs> if, if the weirdness started early, earlier yeah. in the movie... I would have liked this so much more because let's say let's we also have to say this it's only an hour and a half long. Yeah, it's not long at all. But um, we I I asked when yeah what was the time code for the first weird thing at that like happened? Thirty seven minutes. Thirty seven minutes. Yeah. So pretty much the first third and a bit the, is it's the, really the, the last half hour. Yeah. Is when stuff happens. Yeah. Um, like I got sick of the divorce symbolism yeah. very the, quickly. The tone at the beginning is a little strange. Yeah. Um, it's. At times comical. There's definitely some really sardonic lines, uh, but it it kind of feels like I said, like a giallo. It can feel uh, uh, a little slow, a little more just like a dry drama, and then to kind of throw in the horror elements. It's it's a little odd. And then once like the reveal happens, uh, like it stays consistent with that tone True. and feeling in trajectory. We also haven't even really mentioned that something something that I didn't even know going into this viewing. This is a creature feature. <laughs> like I did not know that coming into this that there would be little uh, demented uh, children running around. Like I did, I had With no idea. Beaks. With beak ish lips, they said beak like lips. Very weird description. Yeah, no teeth. Um, but that was 
cool. Yeah. Like, I liked every second that, that they were on screen. They are the brood. Yeah. That's yeah. The, the big reveal that, that Christian mentioned. But, like, it, if that stuff had been introduced, honestly, from the beginning and kind of, like, woven throughout all the uh, boring stuff, mm-hmm. it would have been such a more interesting film. Honestly, yeah. If it, But then that, when it gets into it, it gets into it hard. It does. And, like, those scenes are very cool. Yes. When they start, like, just, like, attacking and swarming the teachers, swarming the... Uh, like, the first initial kill of the grandmother um, is... It's cool. It's like well done. It it definitely feels like the seventies. It's like it's it beats not, this grandma to death with a mallet, with like a tenderizing mallet. Yeah, and pretty it's, cool. It's pretty gnarly, but, it, but it's cool because it's also not revealed what this thing is. Exactly. So You're, I was wondering, like, what is this? It feels very much like, and Roger Ebert mentioned it in their review or his review. Um, Roger Ebert gave this a one star. Yeah, Roger Ebert didn't he hated like this. this. Uh, don't look now. The film Don't Look Now um, from. Uh, 73 this this definitely had a pretty uh pretty strong reminiscence to that interesting yeah um because i don't want to give anything away but there's like a menacing like this small figure around in don't look now and this six years later has many menacing small figures i will say the the first uh, thing that I thought of when I saw the menacing small creatures in the, in the brood uh, was the film Leprechaun. You did say that, which was very funny. Which was a very scary movie that I watched when I was too young, and so <laughs> did that, it freak you out when you were a kid? Yes, oh, yeah, that's funny. It was very. I knew very so scary. many kids that were freaked out about that. It movie. was very scary, and so the the image of Warwick Davis running around as a leprechaun has always been burned in my memory. And these kids are like. Kind of the same shape. As I mean, they kind of are, though. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to read, I wanted to uh, say the line from Roger Ebert's review that makes Please, me laugh. Yes. Uh, he opens uh, his entire, his entire first paragraph is, uh, now here's a particularly nasty little number. The Brood is an El Slizo exploitation film camouflaged by the presence of several well-known stars, but guaranteed to nauseate you all the same. What a weak stomach. He's so sassy. Yeah. God. But didn't you say he also just spoils everything in the second paragraph? (laughs) Dude, like straight up. Yeah. If I were to read. Okay. So now that you've seen it and we're we're on air recording, this is what he immediately jumps into. Um, That's after it bores you first, which is funny. It's about a scientist who may or may not be mad, who runs something called the Institute for Psychoplasmics and some of whose patients have the knack for creating clones of little kids and then controlling them with their manic mind powers. That's not even said in the movie. No. That's a that's lot. Not even, that's not even like explicitly said in the movie. No. Holy cow. I was waiting for that reveal from the re- review that you said was very spoilery. So uh, that does 100% spoil everything right in the movie and then the review and then the next paragraph immediately starts with the clones are gestated in wombs outside the body and i'm like come on dude that's the body horror reveal like what the fuck that's the reveal of the movie and you are straight up in a in three very short paragraphs just giving everything away. That's a bummer, Roger yeah. Ebert. And this was from 1979. This was like a contemporary review. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. June 5th, 1979. You can't do that. What a dickhead, right? Yeah. yeah. Because that is what he is describing, the like outside womb that is growing these creatures. Yeah. Is really gross. And it's a cool reveal. Yeah. But like, I don't want to know about that going into it. I don't want to expect that. 
Hannah made a good point of uh, the brood creatures resembling um, that like prophet like character from Midsommar. Oh yes, yeah. It's like bit, it's yeah. the skin. It's they, really the skin. They reminded me of like the kid versions of the uh, descent creatures. Oh shit! But yeah. wearing like. <laughs> clothes <laughs> they also kind of look at let's just throw even more comparisons yeah why not they also kind of look like uh which i'm the only one in this room that has seen this film uh the the zombie chicken creatures f- or f- from poultry geist rise of the chicken dead yeah i can't i can't say i'm i'm with you there that would that's a trauma movie that would be a good <laughs> podcast one yeah maybe we'll add to yeah. the list yeah i remember it being kind of filthy <laughs> Most trauma are. Yes. We, I'm honestly surprised we haven't covered a trauma. We'll get to it yet. eventually, yeah, for sure. We've got to at some point. Um, so that is the reveal, as we said. That's the body horror. So as we haven't even really gotten to the plot, aside from the woman is like kind of institutionalized, but it's also this weird like culty thing. It's vague. We don't know why she's institution institutionalized yeah. just yet. And then we just we just find out that she's just kind of like a danger to herself and the kids. Yeah, apparently she's kid. like hurting the kid. Yeah. Uh like We don't we don't know about the brood until the end. Yeah, yeah. And then we find out that that's probably what's been happening is like the brood's been hurting the kid, not the mom actually. And the re- the big reveal is that the mother, Nola, the character is producing these Things she is birthing these uh, a, kids, which in, I have many, many questions about. Well, it's a plot hole three thousand miles wide. Uh, none of it is explained yeah. slash makes sense. No, none of it makes sense. How quickly at all. do they grow? Apparently, incredibly fast. She had like twenty of them. They apparently cost no money to care for or store. They who <sighs> they don't. How make did a sound. she get this mutation power yeah. ability? Was it the was well, it the cult leader read, that was it's giving the cult it? leaders guidance? Psychoplasmics is what he uses. Which yeah, I don't is a terrible, terrible name. It's honestly kind of dumb sounding. Psychoplasmics. Yeah. It's so lazy. It feels like a dumb name from the seventies. Yeah, it does. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's on brand. Yeah, it's pretty on brand. Uh, yeah, it makes no fucking sense. So it's which makes it even funnier that Roger Ebert. Not only like put that all together and then just spoiled it all at once in the second uh, paragraph yeah. of his review, but like, but none of that is ever spoken or no. explicitly said or even implied really throughout the entire movie, which no. is which is hilarious. Uh, <clears throat> the the like deepest that I can get from it from that specifically is just being cuz like that whole the whole crux of that is she is birthing this brood that essentially exists to physically manifest her emotions like if 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 there's somebody that she's mad at they're going to want to go kill they're going to want to go attack and kill that person and if which happens and if she's like neutral or happy like those things will be like relaxed or like sleep, let's go to sleep or just like chill out I want to see what they look like when they're happy. <laughs> we're not they ever quite. Go, we're never like, ever quite reveal that, but that is a pretty uh, accurate recreation of their. They sound. do scream. If you want to do, lot. yeah, they don't speak. They mostly yeah. just hiss and growl. Yeah, yeah pretty close. Yeah. The they motion. The down. motions help. Yeah. Yeah, you can't see me, yeah. but every, literally every scene that they show up in, I'm. I'm into it. It's good shit. They're and they're all wearing like these weird little snowsuits. Yeah, the (laughs) the outfits are very funny, but like they're pretty menacing. And once you get to see more of them, their uniformity is uh, is unsettling. Yeah, yeah. And I like that. 
Um, it's definitely like tonally an unsettling movie, but like I said at the beginning, it's like kind of just jumbled a little bit from, in my opinion. But I also have the same complaint about Scanners. Uh, I think Scanners is also mostly a boring movie that has like some cool shit in it's it. The, it's the reverse. It starts off with a bang, literally. Yeah, and then and then it's kind of boring for the rest of anything the entire fucking movie. happens. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is the opposite. And I feel like, and again, when I say boring, uh, it's still Cronenberg, so I still enjoy them quite a bit. Yes. Um, spoiler alert for Videodrome, though. It's Colby and I's least favorite. We would go usually so far as to say we don't like it. Yes, but. We do love the video drum shop. One hundred percent, always. Cronenberg, uh, I feel like really got a stride with the Fly. Like the Fly was like, oh shit! Like he he's good. He's yeah. great. He never needs to make another movie. But then he went on to make even more bangers. Um, but uh, the like I said, the tone of this is menacing, uh, but. Because he didn't, I think you brought it up, the splicing in the brood throughout more instead of just having it be this whole chunk at the end, I think would have made that tone much more effective. Yes. Because then we also get to feel creeped out in the beginning yeah. more so than just kind of like getting to watch. And like a real sense of wonder. Yes. Of like, what is going on yeah. right now? Because like once those are int- introduced, you're like, what are those? Exactly. And, and that's what I want to be seeing. And we just don't get enough of it yeah. until that end. Yeah, Totally. Yeah, well, so uh, to circle back to the original point of why I brought that up, I guess, was I think the overall message that I've gathered from like a little bit of that Criterion essay and just various other essays around that I skimmed uh, is like the brood is there to uh, – the commentary that I read is that Cronenberg is essentially trying to say it's like the sins of the mother – Situation rather than the sins of the father. Of course, the father is innocent. In this thing, he's he seems to be daddy. He seems to be a saint. A lot of daddy issues. Like goddamn, he didn't. Did he do anything wrong in this? No, I think he's just. Well, he did wind up killing his wife to save everybody. To save his daughter. True. Because daddy saves the day. Yeah, David Cronenberg saves the day. David Cronenberg saves the day. David Cronenberg is also an actor. If you're not familiar, Uh, I'm not saying you. I'm saying to our lovely audience. Uh, he uh, has starred in such amazing works as Jason X. He was in Jason X? He's in the opening scene of Jason X and gets murdered by Jason, the reformed from space Jason. That's your favorite one, right? Yep. <laughs> it's my favorite one. Yeah, I remember you saying that. Yeah, it's the best one. Yeah. Um, oh, it's the best. Uh, he is also uh, the lead bad boy in uh, Clive Barker's Nightbreed. Which is fucking awesome. Oh, he is. I I watched Nightbreed yeah. earlier this year. Yeah, he's the villain in that. It's pretty good. It's good. It's uh. Did Weird. you watch the director's cut? I don't remember. Uh, the director's cut is better, but it's you're just like, ooh, there's a lot of movie. Ah, it's like two hours and forty five minutes that makes of a uh, Clive Barker fantasy horror movie. We watched it. Hannah enjoyed it quite a bit, even though I've had to remind her three times that she did in fact see that movie. <laughs> <laughs> Cronenberg's not a bad actor. He's, no, he's not. He's, he's very... He, you can tell he enjoys it. He certainly enjoys it. He has a it. good time. Yeah. I would say he's about on par as how I feel like when John Waters pops up in a movie. Sure. It's just like, oh shit, that's John Waters. And then you're excited for the next two minutes until he yeah, until dies, dies or something. Happens. Which is why it was like so wild to watch Nightbreed and be like, oh shit, that's Cronenberg. Oh, 
he's still here. He's a main character. <laughs> oh, he's in this. He's in this a lot. You mentioned that he, show, he one of his more recent. He's he's getting back into acting. I guess yeah. There's this uh, series called Slasher that I was vaguely familiar with, and I saw that they announced a new season, and I was like, oh okay, I'm I'm curious about checking that out. And like the first thing that I saw was like starring David Cronenberg. I'm like, that's bullshit. Like you're lying that's to me lie. right now. Don't do that. And nope, sure enough, he I don't know what his role is, but he's one of the leads in the new season. If you guys want us to, we'll watch all that. I'll watch Slasher. Yeah. I've watched season one. Yeah, so. and I'm curious, the way you were explaining it earlier. Yeah, so it's, it's kind of cool. It's kind of just like a, a, you know, like a shitty TV show, but like a little bit better. And it's like, I don't know, dumb and bad and it's good. Yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> but starring David Cronenberg. But starring David Cronenberg. Yeah, I'm in. You convinced me. No, well, <laughs> it's only... like a, it's like a sh- piece of shit, but it's not like a lot of shit. It's just like it's, it's like okay, say you shit all over the floor, I, but uh, this analogy is good. Say it's like you shit all over the floor. Would you prefer it to be like a thick loaf, a firm loaf, or would you prefer it to be some rain, hot brown rain? I would. I would prefer. I have to. I have to shit on the ground. Say you do. That like. That's my only option is I have to shit on yeah, the ground? Yeah, I mean, you're going to shit on the ground. Are it's an you, emergency? Yeah, are you going to have a, a, a solid loaf or are you going to have I some I think I would prefer rain? to keep my pants on. That's not the question. Then ruin the carpet. Well, okay, so you shit your pants because in this scenario you're wearing pants. Uh, I'm, wearing, so, I'm wearing... Solid loaf for hot brown rain. I, but here's the twist. I'm wearing Jinko jeans. And so it <laughs> It can still get on anyway. the floor. Okay, that's, there we go. That's my compromise. That's fair. You're welcome. Solid low for hot brown rain. Solid, obviously. 100%. That's what I'm saying. That TV show is like the solid loaf. You would just prefer it over some, uh, some wet shit. What counts shit. as hot brown rain? What show is hot brown rain? Wendy Williams. Oh. <laughs> I hate that shit. It's bad. Weird. That's not what I expected. I it's, was expecting like a fiction. No, she's the fucking worst. She's a cancer to society. Are you are you big into Wendy Williams or something? Why are you? I I are may, we starting beef I'm with not, Wendy Williams I am now? Not one of our going, major listeners. I am not going to incriminate no one, but someone I may or may not vaguely work adjacent to her show. You're the executive producer on the Wendy Williams show. No. This is it. This is the reveal. A station, a channel that I technically work for at my job, airs reruns of that show. And that, Wendy Williams is a cancer to society. Huh. Yeah, that quite not quite a, what I was expecting in your answer, but I'll accept your explanation, I guess. Thank you for going more into detail about You're that. You're welcome. You're welcome. She's outed people. Uh, for, she's the worst. She's terrible. She could be she could be a David Cronenberg villain. Yeah, that'd be good. She could actually. What's the grossest part about this movie? Like what's what was the what was the moment that you were like, "Ugh." Really? Uh I think honestly, it's when you see that ball go through the wall. You're like, "Shit, they threw that hard." Yeah, there <laughs> one one of the one of the brood kids uh, does throw like a, a crystal like a decorative ball, like a, yeah. a decorative ball through a wall uh definitely has a cannon for an arm <laughs> yeah. uh, might have a future in the in the major leagues um, Call your brother up but man. then he quickly dies 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he jumps on uh, some dude's back and then just gets weak and dies. <sighs> Did they explain why he died so fast? The pustule thing on their back. Oh, it's like uh, a camel hump. There is an autopsy scene next, which is very entertaining because yeah, that's uh, when we learn about the beak with no teeth. Yeah, beak with no teeth. Uh, they have a hump between their back filled with nutrients that when that is emptied, they die. Yeah. Very weird. Yes. Of course, we see none of this, really. You know, it's all discussed. Um, but uh, yeah, they're. they're uh, anatomic makeup is essentially child with beak and pustules. Yeah, it's it's a little bit gross. Um, the the grossest thing for me uh, that I, I'm glad that nothing was spoiled for me about the reveal of the mom being the mom of the brood, yeah. uh, especially at the end when they're trying to rescue the daughter uh, and the dad is trying to calmly talk to the mom to make sure that you know her brood doesn't go mm-hmm. kill everybody. And she quickly gets angry at him and <laughs> just says, what does she say? Look at this. And then she reveals yeah. her, she like pulls her robe up. His and, face. And is his reaction hysterical. face, again, he's a terrible actor, yeah. uh, is hilarious. It's we both laughed good. out loud. Yeah. And then we cut to what he's looking at. And it's her holding this uh, like sack. sack of baby. Yeah, baby um, sack. And you're like, okay, I guess that's. That's how they do it. That's how they're grown. It's wet. She quickly bites it open and then pulls the baby out. It's super bloody. It's gross. And then she starts to lick it, lick the baby, cleaning that blood off. That was a pretty nasty, uh, that was just nasty imagery. I didn't expect that necessarily. I um, liked it. I I think I liked it as well. <laughs> I'll say I liked it. No, it's it. gross. It's definitely like obviously because the grossest part Because that's the, the kind of stuff that I was waiting for. Yeah. Like that's the, that's the kind of stuff that David Cronenberg is known for. Yep. And he's the body horror. He guy. invented body horror yeah. essentially, and so he's it, credited for that. It shit. was really exciting to to get to see it finally. Yeah. Uh, early in the movie, we get a, a very quick instance. We see one of uh, a former member of the of the cult therapy thing uh, that's working with the dad, try to take them down, and he's wearing a scarf the entire time. And you're like, he's very sweaty. He has a really yeah. bad comb over. He's great. Just a fascinating character. Yeah. I don't even remember his name. Me neither. But. I Tony. Wanted, I wanted more Tony. of Tony. Yeah. yeah, let's call him Tony. And quickly, he uh, or eventually reveals under his scarf what I guess is a side effect of the treatment. I don't quite know. It's the good stuff. Um, but it, we don't even see much of it. It's a <laughs> blink and you miss it reveal. But it's just like he says he has cancer on his throat. Yeah. And I don't. How would you describe it? How would you describe what his throat looks like? Gross. It is gross. I, like I don't know. Like it's, I wish I it's saw just it like close. a mess of prosthetics. Like I don't know. A yeah. mess. Like it looks it's like gross. the skin is like decaying. Yeah, yeah Kind yeah. of like there's holes. in it, it doesn't look like the. I mean, it looks like maybe what those pustules on the other people have like exacerbated a ton. But yeah. uh, it looks different from what all the other people have all over their skin. I do kind of wish the 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 disease or the mutation or whatever it was explained a little bit. A little bit. Like I wish I, this I, could have been a two hour movie with more spooks. Sure. Yeah. Sure. I would have spooks enjoyed more of that. I think. Yeah. Um. Because because I think the the like ability to grow clones is really interesting it is and I neat want more of that i think want to cool. know how you're pulling that off explicitly say if the therapist has been in on it is he the daddy is he also having sex with his patients Appar- yeah apparently yes michael says yes but also michael wants the sex with the daddy therapist yeah it's never revealed necessarily that no. he is sleeping with his patients but it's hinted i mean apparently it's implied, it's implied but i didn't really see much. and i guess i don't know is casting oliver reed like saying something it was he like particularly sexy back then i don't know he's pretty old 
I, that doesn't matter, dude. Like, do you think he's hot in this movie? Do would I say Oliver Reed is hot in this movie? No. I would say he seems like a bloated old man. Yeah, he's got a lot of uh, Orson Welles in his later years vibes. He's not that fat, but he's definitely that stocky. We did say we did watch uh, right after the movie finished. We oh, did yeah. watch a two minute interview of Bill Hader talking about why he loved The Brood, and also on the Criterion Channel. Yes, very nice little bonus feature. Uh, and his favorite character is Oliver Reed's character because he's like, uh, he, well, first of all, he does a great impression of it, but he yeah. uh, kind of agrees that. He's in a different movie. Like, yeah, he's like he's over the top. He's like, completely over the top, like a ridiculous daddy. character. He's a theater dude, and he's yes. just like he's yeah he's taking this shit like so seriously. A little bit of uh, was it Doctor Loomis? Oh yeah, like <laughs> from fucking Halloween. Like the, that kind of. Uh, uh, oh God, what's his name? I don't know. Oh, I love that dude. But like that kind of style Pleasance. of just of just being like really over the top, and you're like, what is going on? Like, yeah, this is. Uh, a different character. Yeah, well, that was that was uh, a, like a very recognized, high caliber actor, kind of schlumming it up a little bit, yeah. but still taking the material as seriously as they would the stage. Yeah. So it's cool. Uh, Oliver Reed is definitely, I'd say, the strongest. I thought the wife Nola is good. She's got like a creepy essence to her. She. Is, As, like is, the actress is doing a great job. She's of, really good. Yeah. We see uh, a lot of her just kind of, you know, through these therapy sessions mm-hmm. early in the movie, and then once uh, it kind of really gets going at the end, and she is like full creepy Losing mode, yeah. uh, very intense. Her yeah. eyes open too cool. wide. Yeah. Like I, I don't yeah. think it's possible no. to see more white in eyes than what no, we're it's, seeing. It's it's pretty it's pretty gnarly intense, and that's just her face. Uh, like <laughs> that's, that's not a slam on that's her. range. Yeah, that's just range. Like it's it's intense. Um, but yeah, she she's great. The dad's really the only one that kind of sucks. No, the grandparents yeah. are fine. They're hardly in it at all. Um, the little, girl the little girl's fine. Uh, she's oh, exactly. It's the same little girl from Poltergeist, even though it's not. Like, what's it, what's the Poltergeist line? They're here. They're here. That we might as well have heard that at some point. One hundred percent. And they could have said that about the brood True. easily. Uh, but she actually goes mute in this movie out of like shock from trauma, seeing her grandmother die. Yes, to be fair, by the end of the movie, she's still alive, very great, but definitely messed up. Like has dealt with some stuff. The the nanny that like takes care of her, um, the teacher, the teacher. Oh yeah, right. It is the teacher that takes care of her um, when the brood goes after her because I think the mom gets jealous or whatever, uh, and the dad finds her body in the school and he just grabs that like painting that the kid did and puts it over her face. That's some of the funniest shit I've ever seen in my life. He's sitting like he runs in. There was a room of like screaming, crying children as this woman is laying bloody on the ground dead. And he just looks at her like sad, like, Oh my potential love, you were taking care of my daughter. And he like puts the thing over her face and like has a moment and then you see like him like come to reality and be like, oh shit, there's a lot of crying kids around me. And he just gets up and leaves. I gotta go. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah. Oh, it was crazy. I couldn't stop thinking of like kindergarten cop. Oh, 100%. In that scene. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I was also thinking of Billy Madison. Also Billy Madison. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Very weird. Two classics. Yeah. Two absolute classics. Absolute classics. classics. Uh, another uh, kind of fun fact that I had no idea. Is that uh, Howard Shore is 
the guy who does all of like his all music. all of Cronenberg's movies. If, Howard if Shore of? Lord of the Rings fame. Yeah. One of my absolute favorite sound mm-hmm. soundtracks of, or scores of all time. Uh, and I, so I tried to pay attention throughout this movie to see if I noticed much, but we yep. found out it's, this, is, this is his third ever movie. Yeah, composing. the first collaboration with Cronenberg um, and then pretty much did every Cronenberg movie after it. So. Um, I can't say I noticed much throughout this movie of his of his score, but you no, know, but I'm curious to see how that will evolve as well now that no, now that we know that he's going to be involved in all of these movies. That essay that I read uh, specifically pointed out the score as being vital to the movie. And I was like, didn't no, notice. No, I noticed it once when it like didn't work. I was like, Oh, that was weird. It was like a really short piece of him, like running up to them sitting in like the uh, sandbox area or whatever. And then it like faded out really fast. And I was like, Oh, that was tense for no reason. That was weird. Yeah. And then, yeah. Yeah. It did, didn't seem vital at all. No, no, but that'll be something to explore uh, down the road as we're watching more of these movies for sure. And I'm excited to see if that if that becomes more noticeable. Yeah, I'm super curious because I, uh, having seen these, I still just didn't uh, ever notice that Howard Shore was the dude. Uh, but right when you said his name, I was like, oh, fuck, yeah, that is Howard Shore. That is the, the Lord of the Rings guy. Yeah. God damn. So any, I mean, we have kind of said everything. Yeah, I mean, that kind of covers say. the film. It kind of covers the background of it and gives you a good introduction to Cronenberg. He's going to be dealing a lot with... Moving forward, it's going to be uh, a mix of like political, a mix of uh, social commentary, personal demon stuff, and uh, all wrapped in some pretty intense bows. Usually, yeah. Some, some we're gonna get, and we're gonna get some more, uh, more body horror. Yeah, <laughs> let's 100%. just say that, um, which is gonna be fun. But also, just it'll be fun to kind of be able to to explore a filmmaker throughout his career in different eras. Yeah. Especially one as consistently good yeah. as Cronenberg. Yeah, and so that's essentially why we want to do something like this, where yeah. uh, a filmmaker that we both respect immensely and that we really are excited to kind of dive into. Yeah. Um, the next film that we will be uh, watching, though, because be, like we said earlier, we're going to be doing our Cronenberg series every other episode, yeah. so we'll be breaking it up with uh, our more typical variety or maybe something that we saw in theaters, yep. um, which is what we uh, are doing what this, next, what this next episode will be. It will be our don't breathe Two episode. How the fuck did they make a sequel? Find out. You'll find out next week, next week. Uh, any, any final thoughts? Uh, no, I mean, uh, I think this is a great place to start with Cronenberg. Uh, so if you're interested in, um, him and you're interested in what we've said uh i don't think even what we've said of the movie would spoil it too much so definitely go in see if you enjoy it and come along for the ride he's a fucking great wild filmmaker yep and and we're definitely excited to continue down this path uh the path the the, you might even say the main street uh in the town of cronenberg truly uh thanks for listening guys absolutely check you next time bye bye What up, you freaks? It's Christian, better known as Seaman. If you like what you hear and want to dig deeper, be sure to follow us on Twitter at Dwellers Podcast, Instagram at Cellar Dwellers Podcast, Letterboxd at Cellar Dwellers, and of course, our email, CellarDwellersPod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you freaks want to hear more of. The goo, the gore, the milk? Let us know. Come dwell, there's plenty of room in the cellar.